This episode, we talk about some of the most relevant lessons that we can take from Holy Week and Easter. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Well, here we are coming to the end of Holy Week, which is the week that approaches Easter and the most important and sacred week of the Christian calendar. I told my husband that the season of Lent last year in 2020 seemed like it was 10 months long, while this Lent seemed to fly by. My family members were starting to ask me about Easter, and I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, we have time, but nope, here it is already. Easter, of course, is the joyous celebration of the risen Christ. It is the commemoration of the discovery of the empty tomb the realization that Christ had, in fact, overcome death. The Easter holiday is a time of great rejoicing and happiness. How do we celebrate? We get together with family, enjoy a feast, and wear brightly colored, happy clothing. No one wears black on Easter. But what a lot of secular people who celebrate Easter as a day of bunnies and egg hunts don't see is the lead-up to it, the dark and sad week that is Holy Week. In our readings for this week, we see the stories of Christ praying in the garden, asking God to take this cup from him, but resigning himself to his fate as part of God's will. We see Christ crucified, tortured, humiliated, abandoned by his friends, by the people who only hours earlier had vowed to stand with him even unto death. We see Jesus at the mercy of Pontius Pilate, a man who knew Jesus was innocent of any crime, but who didn't want to anger the crowd and therefore washed his hands of the situation and just went along. In the Catholic Church, we have something called the Stations of the Cross, where we painstakingly go through each part of Jesus's walk to crucifixion. On Palm Sunday, we as a congregation read the gospel of Christ's passion, with the congregation saying the words, crucify him, as the crowd did, in order to represent the fact that we ourselves are guilty of Christ's crucifixion every time we sin. Why do we do all this? Why do we go through these dark rituals every year, focusing on torture and death and injustice? Well, for one, we do it as a reminder of our own sinful nature. We need that concrete reminder that Christ, as a completely innocent man, endured what he did for our sake and for our redemption. The human race is a fallen race. We are a people that are, by nature, capable of great evil. Some obviously are more evil than others, but we all have some sort of sin that we are guilty of and that we have had a hard time shaking. There are a lot of secular people who do not agree with this view. They believe that people are fundamentally good, which is why the self-help talk about you are enough and just be true to your authentic self no matter what are so popular. If being true to your authentic self was always a good thing, then this would be great advice. But the reason why our society is not better off, people are not happier and are in fact more depressed than ever, is because deep down inside, we all know that that is a load of nonsense. Deep down inside, we all know that we are flawed. Sure, maybe your flaw isn't being a murderer or a child molester. Maybe you don't steal things and maybe you always say please and thank you and hold the door open for people. But that doesn't mean you don't have flaws and that those flaws aren't serious. Maybe your sin that you can't shake is an inability to forgive the wrongs committed to you by others. Maybe it is a jealousy towards people who have things that you want. Perhaps your sin is to worship false idols by putting too much importance on money or material things. I know that probably every single one of us are guilty of passing judgment on others. We know that we are flawed and pretending that we aren't, pretending that the problem is we know that we are flawed and pretending that we aren't, pretending that the problem in our lives is that we just aren't our truest, most authentic selves isn't serving people well. We know that we do wrong things. 
So when we do those wrong things and then are told we just need to embrace those wrong things as being authentic, it feels wrong because it is wrong and it is terrible advice. As a Christian, I know that I am flawed, that I am a sinner. I don't have to walk around pretending I'm perfect or without fault. We as Christians are called to face our brokenness head on. And then we get the privilege of knowing that we are loved anyway. We are worthy anyway, not because we are good enough, but because Jesus is. And what a weight off our shoulders that is. Isn't it something that we all long for in life, having people in our lives that love us unconditionally? Don't we want our spouses to love us even when we are grumpy or have a bad day or fail at something important or are stuck in our bad habits? Some of us are blessed enough to have that in our spouse or family members or friends, but all of us, every single person on earth can have that in Jesus. No matter how far you have fallen, he still has that unconditional love for us, love to the point of laying down his life willingly on a cross. That is one thing that we remember as we reflect on the crucifixion, but there are so many more. One of the most common things that non-believers say as the reason they don't believe is that there is suffering in the world. With so much terrible suffering in the world, how could we believe in a loving and caring God? Now, I'm not going to lie. The first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that line is sarcasm. Oh man, why didn't I think of that? You're right. There is suffering in the world. I didn't realize that. I guess there must not be a God then. Yes, that is the first thing that comes to mind because I am in fact a flawed person. But the notion that people of faith haven't asked that same question or wondered the same things is absurd. Of course we wonder that. Of course we ask that. I've seen things happen to people that I love that have actually made me angry with God. I couldn't believe that he could be so cruel as to allow this bad thing to happen in this way. But the difference is humility. I do not presume to be so fantastic, so wise, so all-knowing as to think that just because I can't understand something must mean it does not exist. There are a lot of things in this world that I don't understand. There are a lot of things you don't understand. That doesn't mean that these things cease to be real simply because we don't get it. Suffering is a part of this world, period. This is not heaven. As people of faith, we understand that we suffer because we are in a fallen world. But we believe that all suffering has a purpose and a reason. God allows bad things to happen in order for us to learn. It's kind of like when parents allow their children to fall down because that is the only way they will learn not to do something again. We are not allowing that to happen because we hate our children or want to see them hurt. On the contrary, we know that simply telling them not to climb on that isn't going to be enough to teach them the lesson of not climbing on things that aren't meant to be climbed on. That flaw is in us, not God. The flaw is in the fact that we as humans simply must learn things the hard way. It's part of our nature. I fully admit that there are sufferings in the world that none of us will ever understand. We don't know the reason and may not until we are faced with our maker on judgment day. But not all suffering falls into that category, not by a long shot. I bet that every single one of us can look at a time of suffering in our lives and see the good that came from it. Whether it was God pointing us to a better situation than we had planned for ourselves by telling us no to what we wanted, only to have a better yes waiting, or a time in our lives when we really went through hell, but survived it and thrived and learned and grew. One of the things I always point out to people is that anyone who in our world is considered inspirational is someone who has overcome obstacles. We don't celebrate, for example, the children of celebrities who attend Ivy League colleges. Not only do we now know that some parents literally bought their ways into those schools, but these kids were born with a silver spoon in their mouths. They weren't going to be saddled with student loan debt for attending Harvard. And while we give credit to their accomplishments that are rightfully earned, it is not particularly inspirational. 
But who do we as a society view as inspirational? People who have had to overcome hardships and who have walked through unbelievable challenges. People like Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf and yet went on to get an education and work to make improvements in the world on behalf of people who are deaf. Harriet Tubman, who not only escaped from slavery herself, but put her life on the line to go back into danger to help others escape as well. Jane Austen or the Bronte sisters, who wrote widely popular novels at a time when women writers were not respected. Abraham Lincoln, who led our nation during our only true civil war and lost his life in the process, but is long revered and remembered as one of our greatest leaders. One person who I personally always found inspirational was Elizabeth Smart, the young girl who was kidnapped from her bedroom at 14 years old and held captive by child molesters and abusers for nine months. Not only did she survive that ordeal, but she thrives today, married with children and a career as a journalist and a human rights advocate. No one of good conscience wishes suffering on anyone, but it is undeniable that the hardships we face in this world can lead to amazing accomplishments, empathy towards others, discoveries, and lessons that can help other people and future generations. Now I get it, that is not always the case. Sometimes suffering is just suffering and there is no apparent redemption in it, but that's where faith comes in. There is more to life than this world, and just because we don't see the benefits here doesn't mean we won't see them somewhere else. If you don't believe in anything outside of this world, then I understand why you wouldn't agree with this. After all, there is death. Death sucks, and there's no way around that. There's no redemption or hope. But as Christians, we don't believe that death is the end. We believe it is just a step in the process. We do believe in life after death, as given to us by the example and promise of Jesus himself. If you believe that death leads to heaven, which is that place that we are all searching for, of no suffering and no fear and eternal peace, then the only sadness in death is the missing of our loved ones for the rest of this life. We are sad for us, but not for them. They're good. How we as individuals view the suffering that we experience in our own lives and the suffering we see around us is very much a choice. I'm not saying it's an easy choice, and I'm definitely not saying that I've always made that right choice in the face of suffering, but it most definitely is a choice. We can absolutely view our hardships as nothing more than bad luck, crappy circumstances that mean nothing and are just to be lamented and complained about. Or we can view these hardships as opportunities, an opportunity to learn, to grow, to move in a different direction, or to take our experience and use it to help others. We are all coming off of a year of incredible hardships and difficulties. Whether you lost a loved one to COVID, lost your job or business, experienced depression due to loneliness, watched helplessly as your child struggled with virtual learning, or became disillusioned by the people in your life and how they chose to deal with it all, there were definitely enough challenges to go around. I would be lying if I said I didn't have some dark moments over the last year. There were several instances where I was so disgusted with the world that I wanted to just take my family and go move to a farm somewhere off the grid and raise my kids away from this awful and idiotic world that we live in. But those moments were fleeting, and it was very much an active choice on my part not to continue living there. Our choice in how we handled these challenges means everything. Throughout this last year, my husband and I learned to get creative with our kids to keep them busy and healthy. And no, I don't mean virtual field trips on their Chromebooks. When the usual indoor stuff we did for recreation became unavailable, we took ourselves outdoors. We went camping, kayaking, and hiking. My kids swam in lakes and the ocean, and we all loved every minute of it. I can honestly say that our family has rediscovered our love of the outdoors because of the lockdowns, and that has been a tremendous blessing. 
And truly, I never felt unsafe in any of those situations. Because according to science, being outdoors in the sunshine made for extremely low risk of contracting COVID. It is so sad to me that so many people simply locked themselves in their houses instead of finding healthy activities that they could do that actually had very low risk. This current school year is my last year before all my children are officially school-aged. It was a tremendous blessing to have this year to be completely home with them, and it caused us to reevaluate their educations, exploring new options that might work better for our family that we never looked into before. I know so many people who were tested greatly by this pandemic, whether it's my sister who went through nursing school in the middle of all this, to my friend who became a pastor right before the lockdowns took place, to another friend who had recently opened a new business, a children's dance studio, and had to make difficult decisions for how to keep people safe, but also keep her business alive. Here we are one year later, and in many ways, these baptisms by fire have made these people in my life stronger and more confident, because if they can get through this, they can get through anything. And I bet anyone listening to this can also think of many examples of blessings in one form or another that arose from this last year. Do not mistake me. I'm not saying this past year was a blessing. I understand that if you lost a loved one due to COVID, you would not view it that way at all. And believe it or not, most of the people I know who lost loved ones this year wasn't due to COVID. What I'm saying, though, is that blessings can be found even in the darkest of times if we are only willing to look for them. This is the lesson of Holy Week and Easter. It is when things seem the darkest, when it seems like hope is gone and there is little to encourage us, that the miracle and the rejoicing are right around the corner. We listen to the sadness and the hardship of Jesus' suffering and the sufferings of those who loved him personally on Good Friday when he was put to death and we have the benefit of knowing the ending. But for his disciples, they didn't know. They had no idea what joy was about to hit them. In today's world, we are constantly trying to avoid suffering. That in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. No one wants to suffer. If I have a headache, I pop an Advil. But what Jesus teaches us is that the suffering that we have no choice to endure does have a purpose. It has a benefit. It has a redeeming quality to it. It is not in vain or the result of just bad luck. As much as it might seem like Christians are very doom and gloom, focusing on death and suffering and sinfulness and failings, we aren't. It's not doom and gloom because it is reality. Pretending that a bad thing isn't really a bad thing doesn't actually help us. If we have a toothache and our solution is to just pretend that we love toothaches and they are good and we are fine, we are going to continue to suffer more and more until we can't take it anymore. But if we are willing to say, no, this is a bad situation, then we are not being doom and gloom. We are now gaining the courage to face it, to accept it, and then to fix it. The reason we talk about sin is not to berate people or put them down. It is to lift them up. God loves us too much to leave us where we are. The reason we talk about suffering is not to glorify it or celebrate it. We talk about it because it is a reality of this world and this life, and pretending that it can be avoided doesn't help anyone. Instead, we are offered hope. Hope that there is a reason. Hope that something good will come of what we are going through. A desire to find that good thing and make our lives and ourselves better. Or, at worst, an acceptance that we may not ever find the good part of the suffering or the benefit of the suffering, but we accept that we may never find it, which can be a path towards finding peace in it. There are obviously countless other lessons that can be discussed from the Gospels that we read during Holy Week, and we are really just discussing the tip of the iceberg here. But there is one more that I think is extremely relevant for today that I want to talk about. That is the promise that Christ has overcome this world. We look around us and we lament the state of our world. We grow frustrated with the lies that are spewed every day by the people in power. 
In many ways, I think we are walking through a sort of Salem witch hunt era, where a mob of irrational and anti-truth people are running around with the ability to silence any voices they disagree with, and it is very easy to become discouraged. Here is yet another area where we can take courage in the story of Easter. Jesus must have felt much the same way as he was being ridiculed and tortured. They called him king of the Jews in a mocking way, and he patiently endured it. He knew the truth. He knew they were wrong. But did he get angry and vengeful? No, he didn't. Instead, he prayed for them. He prayed and said to God, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is an example for us. Hearing obvious lies and seeing the horrible ramifications of those lies on our culture and on innocent people is really a hard thing. It is frustrating and it makes me angry. But when we see our fellow humans going down that path, the solution is to pray for them. Pray for them and continue to live and speak the truth. Jesus did that as an example for us. And in the end, truth did prevail. In the end, Christ was raised from the dead. He overcame death and he came out victorious, while Judas went off into the darkness and committed suicide. Even in times like now when it seems that the lies are winning, they won't in the end. In the end, truth always prevails. It doesn't mean that we will not have to endure suffering on the way to that. If Christ did, then who are we to think that we are so special as to avoid it? But in the midst of it all, there is one thing that we can absolutely have faith and hope in, and that is that the truth does and will prevail, always. The whole point of Good Friday is that the story doesn't end there. There is more to it. Good Friday is always followed by Resurrection Sunday. The pain and sadness is always followed by rejoicing and hallelujahs. May each of us remember that this weekend as we celebrate the empty tomb. He is not here. He is risen. All right, we are going to go to our three questions. Question number one is from Garrick. What is the relationship between Passover and Easter? Okay, so we obviously know that Passover is a holiday that is celebrated by people who are Jewish, and Easter is a holiday that is celebrated by Christ people of the Christian faith. Passover is the, the last supper of Christ. He was celebrating Passover. That is what he was doing because Jesus was Jewish. It's always so strange to me. It is one of the strangest things about our current culture, this argument that there is about, you know, Jesus's race. I think somebody recently, and I wish I, I could remember who said it because I thought it was so, it was so good and it was so accurate, was it said, if Jesus is, if the color of Jesus's skin mattered, it would have mentioned it in the Bible. And of course it didn't because the color of people's skin, you know, it is not actually the most important thing, even though our, our society is trying to tell us otherwise. But Jesus was, in fact, Jewish. We know that. Okay, so no, he was probably not, you know, some white blonde guy, but he probably didn't look African-American either. He was Jewish. So there, and he was Jewish from the Middle East. That's that's what we know about him. Um, so he was celebrating Passover uh, when he did the lot, when he had the Last Supper. And then Easter, obviously, is the celebration that Christians have of Christ's rising from the dead. Okay, so he Jesus celebrated Passover by having the Last Supper with his disciples. Then he was arrested, he was crucified, he died, and then he rose from the dead. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. And that is why people who are of the Jewish faith do not celebrate Easter is because they do not, in fact, believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Question number two comes from Sharon. What does salvation mean to you? That's quite a question. Okay, so what does salvation mean to you? Well, salvation means that Christ uh, came to this earth. He was fully God and he was fully man. 
he came to this earth in order to teach us, in order to set an example for us. And then he allowed himself to be crucified to reconcile us with God for our for our sins. And the what the Bible preaches is that whoever believes in Jesus is going to is going to find salvation, is going to be saved, is going to, you know, spend eternity with God in heaven. This I mean, obviously this is a very complex question of what is salvation. But I guess okay, you're saying what does salvation mean to me? So it's my personal thoughts on it. I think that for me salvation means being a follower of Christ. It means and there's so many different things about that. I mean, obviously it means that when you, you know, believe Jesus, believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, that he prom- his promise to us is that we will be, you know, brought to heaven and we will we will spend eternity with him. But it does also it means so much more than that too. It also means, you know, even in this life and even on this earth you know, we are finding salvation when we study the scriptures. We are finding salvation when we when we live according to the example that Jesus sets for us. You know, every time that I am faced with a difficult situation or a situation in which my emotions maybe, you know, are a little bit illogical or, you know, unreasonable, but, you know, okay, that's what, how I feel. You know, we live in a society that tells us, well, you just need to go with your emotions. Like if you feel, you know, if you feel something, then you need to speak your truth and you're, you know, you're right as long as you feel something. Well, no, you're not. I mean, emotions are very unreasonable and they can be illogical. And there are plenty of times where I tell my husband, like, you know what? I'm really grumpy right now and I know that I don't have a logical reason for that. So let just I'm just giving you a warning, you know? But when I when I make the choice, when I make the active and deliberate choice to say, okay, this is how I'm feeling, but I'm not gonna go with how I'm feeling. I'm gonna go with how Jesus would want me to to live and how Jesus gave me the example of living. And I'm gonna choose forgiveness and I'm gonna choose charity and I'm gonna choose empathy and all of those things. I am always better off. Never, never am I not better off to follow Jesus's example for me. And I have seen so many different areas of my life um, just improve and vastly improve. And I find myself with so much more peace and just joy, just a genuine joy in life because of what the Bible tells me every sing- when I read it every single day. You know, it, it's so easy to get angry and lost and frustrated when you look at the news or when you when you go, God forbid, go on social media and see things that people say. But then, you know, when I whenever I sit down with the Bible, with scripture, um, I mean, devotionals are wonderful and Bible studies are, you know, awesome, I think. But nothing beats just sitting down with the Bible and reading through all of God's word to us. And it just grounds me every single day. It just brings me to a feeling of like, yes, this is the truth and this is the the way to live and it's the right way to live, not just for myself, but for others. And so, you know, salvation means so many things. It means a better experience in this broken and fallen world and in this life. It means being able to handle the challenges we face and the suffering we face. And then it means, you know, at the end of my time on this earth, it means that I get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Hopefully that's, you know, that's the goal. Okay. Question number three comes from Annie. What is your favorite way to celebrate Easter? Oh, okay, good. So that's a that's a fun question. Okay, what is my favorite way to celebrate Easter? So we we definitely do the Easter egg hunt for the kids. That is a, it's a fun family tradition, and it's kind of funny because we have a lot of kids in our family. We have eight children that are usually here on Easter, and so and they're just really good at finding those eggs. And so I actually have to hide a lot of eggs, otherwise the eggs get found in about thirty seconds flat. So uh, we do that. Easter is not Easter without going to church, and for us, we're Catholic, so we go to mass on Easter morning. 
Um, and then we have family over and we just enjoy the day together. It's a lot of time uh, spent outside if the weather's nice. You know, we, we hang out in the backyard and we eat good food. And my sister makes the most amazing Cadbury <laughs> egg desserts. And everyone just has uh, it's just a very happy and joyful day. And so and, and, you know, I mean, we celebrate it in the same way that, you know, families just across the country and across the world celebrate it and i think that's one of the one of the saddest things about last year was the fact that churches across the country and across the the world really sat empty on easter sunday that was something that was just heart heart-wrenching really to see and you know for for my family we're catholic and in during lent there are a lot of changes that are made in the Catholic Mass. So, I mean, simple things like there's no hallelujahs. When Mass is over, we walk out of the church in silence during the whole season of Lent. We exit the church in a prayerful silence. And so Easter Sunday is just this complete 180 from that. You know, there's hallelujahs everywhere and there's joyful music and everybody is just happy and joyous. And it's just such a wonderful experience to see, you know, the congregation and to see people and be with people of faith on that day together. And, you know, really one of the things over the last year that has been so difficult for me is to hear all of the people who would say, you know, who cares? Like, what is the big deal about having to go to church? You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and why do you need to go to church? And as much as I always say, you know, you don't need, I don't need to, I don't need to explain it. I don't need to provide you with an explanation as to why I want to exercise my right. The reason that we go to church is community. It's, I hope that if there's one lesson that our world walks away with from these pandemic times is how important community is. We have lost that a lot over the last couple of generations as technology has brought us, you know, online as, as more people, you know, unfortunately more young people even, you know, they spend all of their time kind of, you know, the, the unfortunate saying living in their parents' basements. But, you know, so many young people that you hear that they just spend hours and hours of their day in the in, you know, their rooms or in the basements playing video games online. They just spend like eight hours a day just online playing games. And, and, you know, there are people around social media all the time and all of that. And it's like, you know, we've lost that sense of community in so many ways. I mean, how many people don't know their neighbors? How many people don't have a church community or some sort of community that they are a part of? Um, and that is something that ironically in my personal life, you know, the opposite has kind of happened. I've actually gotten off of social media in my on my in my personal life and my personal accounts. I've gotten off of that, and my friends call me, you know, and, and I I talk to people, and my friends call me, and we have these wonderful conversations where we're actually catching up with each other. And you know, it, it's kind of funny because I I just have a lot of people that I see on a regular basis and we hang out with, and this sense of community throughout this time has become so much stronger because we have realized just how important it is. You know, it's one of those things that you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And that is one of the things about going to church. That is one of the reasons why people want to go to church is for that sense of community. It is that place that you can go and know that the person, all of the people around you share your faith. They share your beliefs. Okay. You're not going to offend somebody by saying Merry Christmas. Um, you're not going to have any of those issues. Like you just, it's a, it's a community. It's a place where you can feel at home and know that these people share my values and share my ideas about, about faith and about religion. And so that is something that is really important to me 
um, on Easter Sunday. And I'm so grateful because our church is open right now and people are, we are able to actually go and celebrate mass in the church. And I was just talking to a friend of mine today and I asked her if her church was open and she said, no, she said, they're still not open. And so I know a lot of these churches are making different decisions, um, as, as individual churches, but I am very grateful that our church is open because that is where my family is going to be on Easter Sunday. And I hope that, you know, for those of you who are able to go to church, if your church is open, I hope that you go. If your church is not open, I hope that you find a service that you can watch online. And I just hope that everyone listening has a wonderful and blessed day um, celebrating, hopefully celebrating with family and friends. Hopefully, you know, people can can stop isolating themselves and they can actually get back together with family, with friends, because it is so, so, so important. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about Holy Week and the Easter holiday. I will be back next week with another deep dive into issues affecting American life from the perspective of just an American. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or a friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to jj at imjustanamerican.com or visiting our locals page at imjustanamerican.locals.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at imjustanamerican. This episode was produced and edited by Brian White. Music for this episode was written and performed by Michael Beatty.